Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. And we're back after a field trip yesterday, which you will be hearing about in due course. It's probably going to be our Halloween special. But if I'm not as bushy as normal, that's because I went to bed at five o'clock this morning. Yeah, and we... um we realised we did have to record this week's episode, so we're going to be as perky as we can, but we do apologise if we're not quite on... Uh, our energy levels are a little bit down. <laughs> and I've got a coffee, but I don't drink caffeinated coffee, I drink a decaf, so it's basically flavoured hot water. <laughs> but hopefully it's fooling my neurons into thinking there is something going on there. Yes. Um, before we get going, I just want to put a special thank, thank you out there to Chakra Magnet which is the pseudonym you go by on our Patreon page, uh, for being such a generous patron this month. And Yeah, that's um, amazing. Thank you. Very, very kind of you. It makes a huge difference, especially tonight's last night, where the costs just build and build and build, yeah. uh, almost imperceptibly. So if you would like to join and help us make the show as good as it can be, um, it's patreon.com forward slash TQM pod. Join in the little community we've got going there, and um, if you would like to um, put some money in, there is a single tier there where you can get involved. Yes, brilliant, and thank you to all those that have done that. We really appreciate it. We do, indeed. And um, I, I don't think I've got enough updates for a, um, a Sherlock special at the end, but I will say, Kath, again, uh, after last week, she spotted this week there was... Um, talk on one of our local community boards community boards it's a facebook page um about a cat called sherlock so sherlock did materialize in feline form this week i, I had a little one this week as well but i'll save it it's, it's nothing major but i just had a very small one which i'll mention at the end but um, okay it, i don't think it warrants the full violin music so i'll quickly <laughs> mention it at the end okay um so today ben um i mean we've covered and are interested in individual UFO cases. We've done a few of those. Mm. However, I, for one, get very excited by UFO sightings that involve multiple witnesses with encounters that seem to span a number of years. They're the ones that really get me going. I don't mm. know about you. Yeah, yeah. And that leads me to what I want to cover today. A UFO wave that drew local, then national, then worldwide attention in the 1990s. However, it does seem that the activity was going on before that, which I'll get into in a minute. It's the case, or the cases, of the Bonnie Bridge UFO wave in Scotland. Okay, I have, I have encountered this, but A, not for ages, and B, I guess it moved on since I last touched it. In fact, the last time I looked at it was probably 15 years ago and I was looking at sheep mutilations. Right. So I guess this is probably different to that. Yes, it is different to that. Um, to give a bit of background, Bonnie Bridge is a small town in Scotland that for a number of years became the world's leading hotspot of UFO activity. Now, I've used a number of sources for my research. However, I will heavily focus on Malcolm Robinson's book called UFO Case Files of Scotland, that features, among other stories, not just Bonnie Bridge, but the Bonnie Bridge stuff is the best account of the Bonnie Bridge wave that I've read. Now, normally on the podcast, uh, we don't give each other much detail, Ben, on what we're going to cover, but I did mention this to you because I believe 
many years ago, you did interview the guy who wrote this book, Malcolm Robinson, for some UFO documentary. Right? Yeah, I did. I did. I was making a documentary for Sky. Uh, it's long since gone off every platform. But yes, it was in relation to... Uh, that that sheep mutilation that right, I was talking right, so about, not body bridge in itself. No, no. no. Well, it was happening in that area. That's, yeah, so yeah. he was investigating. Yeah, and um, he came over as a credible witness. Not particularly mainstream, I must say. It took quite a lot of research to find him. You know, even back then, we were talking about um, like Timothy Goods and those sorts of people yeah. were mainstream. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this person had quite a lot to say. But, as I say, we didn't sort of specifically focus on encounters. It was the the mutilations and the side effects of potential activity. Right, right. Well, I'm I'm leaning on Malcolm Robinson's book uh, because he's not just a world-respected expert in UFOs, but I would say, without doubt, the leading expert on Scottish UFO encounters. Right. And when it comes to the Bonnie Bridge wave, he was at the heart of the research, the investigation, and the story itself at the time. So he just seemed like the place to go, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I I wanted to focus on on Malcolm's account uh, of the Bonnie Bridge UFO wave, not just to get a good understanding of what went on and and highlight some of the amazing cases that were discovered, but because the relationship between the ufologist and author Malcolm Robinson and a local councillor called Billy Buchanan... Now, their relationship, Ben, reminded me in many ways of another story we covered on the podcast <laughs> previously. Can you, can you see where I'm going with this? I think I go see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, that of the Highgate vampire and the relationship between vampire hunters Shaw Manchester and David Farrant. Um, in Malcolm Robinson and Councillor Buchanan's case, a bit similar to, to Manchester and Farrant, uh, we've got two men from very different backgrounds with def- different personalities both working to uncover the truth about what was going on in the Bonnie Bridge area. So that sounds very similar, right? Mm, mm. We've got two men who were not afraid to court the media, sometimes in flamboyant ways to get their messages across. Tick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, flamboyant. I mean, sure, Manchester, very flamboyant, yes. And sometimes uh, their relationships became strained, though in no way to the level of Farrant and Manchester in the Highgate Vampire case. The, these two guys remained friends, but there, there were a few little bumps in the road on the way. The Bodybridge UFO wave, to me, also has parallels with the Highgate Vampire in the fact that it seemed to me that a kind of mass hysteria also swept over the people who lived there and then kind of spread outwards. So there are there are parallels with the Highgate Vampire in, in that that I saw. Okay. So we'll return to some of these themes later, but uh, let's look at the history of UFO activity, which centres around this small town in Scotland. And when I say it's a small town, to give you an idea of the size, I looked up the 2001 census, and there were 6,870 residents of Bonnie Bridge at that time. Okay, so it's like a small market town yeah, type exactly. of thing. Yeah. So let's start with Malcolm Robinson, the author, uh, who grew up in central Scotland and he developed a keen interest in ufology and the paranormal. In the 1970s, he started to engage with like-minded people and groups and he joined SUFON, the Scottish Unidentified Flying Objects Network. That's such a good acronym. Yeah, SUFON. It's like MUFON, but with SUFON. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I like a chicken SUFON. <laughs> in 1979, Malcolm uh, 
set up his own society called the Strange Phenomena Investigations, and he began writing for journals and publications on the paranormal. So that's that's his background. Now, it's generally thought that the Bonnie Bridge UFO wave started in 1992. However, Robinson points out in his book that he has received a lot of reports of strange activity in the skies around Bonnie Bridge uh, in the 10 years previous to that. But that that everyone kind of assumes 1992, that's when it kicked off, but there was stuff. So some of the reports that were happening before 1992 are like this one from Mr and Mrs Clark, which this happened to them on the 9th of the 26th of April, 1982. While looking out of the window of their home, Mrs Clark remarked to her husband that she thought she had seen a shooting star. Her husband grabbed a pair of binoculars and and decided to have a look for himself. He saw what he thought was a fireball, which he described as remaining stationary for around eight minutes. Mr Clark states in his account, Over the last two minutes, there appeared to be some movement within the object. An appendage appeared to rise from the main body without being detached or appearing to reduce the size of the primary object. Mr Clark describes this appendage as coming from the end of an oval-shaped object and that the object itself appeared hazy. The object then seemed to reduce in size over a few seconds and then just disappeared. That's interesting because um, those sort of fireball-type UFOs, I don't associate that with the early 90s kind of... For me, that was a period of a lot of... um, formations of lights yep. and triangles and and things right okay so this we, is we a... do get a bit of those coming up so this is in the 80s though this is oh this pre- is the 80s oh, i do apologize right yeah. i see yes um what's interesting in the description of the object being oval shaped is that that's a theme that seems to be picked up in other ufo sightings in the area with witnesses often describing seeing an egg-shaped object oh, okay that's like um the first egg-shaped object we ever spoke about, Lonnie Zamora again. Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking when I, when I read that. Right. Other encounters from the 1980s include witnesses describing huge airships, I quote, wow. with, with intense bright lights and UFOs themselves being a metallic brown enamel colour. So there's quite a lot of detail that was coming from some of the witnesses. Yeah. So there were reports of activity before 1992. However, in November of 1992, things, I don't know, let's say officially kicked off. And it was started when a local radio station called Central FM reported there'd been a spate of UFO sightings in the area. And this, Ben, is where our other main protagonist in the story, Billy Buchanan, enters the fray. Billy Buchanan was a local councillor and politician and he had been collecting these strange reports from his constituents. Now, the author and ufologist Malcolm Robinson decided to contact Buchanan. You would, wouldn't you? This guy's been collecting them. And this starts this incredible relationship. And while I was reading the book, for me, an incredible journey for both these two men, which is kind of what the focus of this is. I'm going to do some UFO stories, but that was the bit that really intrigued me, the relationship between these two men. So let me give you some background on Billy Buchanan because um, I guess he's what us British people might describe as a real colourful character. (laughs) Uh 
He was a former professional footballer and coach. Uh, that's a soccer player for our American listeners. Uh, who played uh, for many teams in Scotland and ended up managing teams all over the world, including Saudi Arabia. So that was quite early on. In, Gosh, okay. Yeah. So he must—he was a pretty talented guy then. Yeah, yeah. Um, after undergoing past life regression, he believed he'd lived multiple lives, including being hanged as a, ste- a sheep stealer in 1692, being killed at the Battle of Culloden in 1746, and being shot down in World War One. Got a lot of violent ends. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Well, I guess he's going to have an end. He went out. He went out in style. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of fighting going on mm, as well. Mm. Now, to me, in the descriptions I've read about him and the interviews I've seen, uh, I would describe him as a kind of flamboyant showman-like character. That's that's what I came across, and we'll, we'll talk about some of that in a minute. Um, I think that helped him get elected on multiple occasions as a politician. However. When it came to his work with UFO sightings, I, it kind of opened him up to a bit of ridicule and sometimes suspicion of what his motives were, which we'll get into as well. These two characters, Robinson, the diligent ufologist, and then Buchanan, the flamboyant counsellor, began working together with the aim of finding out what lay behind the wave of reported UFO sightings in the area. Now, there are many reports from the early 1990s with features commonly associated with UFO cases. You know, we get the strange lights, the glowing balls, the silent objects flying off at incredible speed, cars being followed, lights being shone on cars, all the stuff that we've kind of heard before. I mean, the book is jammed full of all these accounts, so I'm not going to kind of just keep listing them off. I'm just going to pick a few notable ones out and talk about... And one of the most notable ones for me, and a chilling case, is referred to as the Sloggart incident. The Sloggart family were out walking to Bonnie Bridge one evening in March of 1992. Stephen Sloggett pointed out to his family a strange circle of lights in the sky. As he did this, the lights swooped down from the sky and landed in a field near to where they were walking. It then took off again from the field and landed on a road about 60 feet behind them. After observing this strange object, the family decided to continue their walk. I didn't really go into it, but I wondered, you know, that kind of feeling we've talked about, about kind of being glamoured of going, oh, that's a bit strange, and then just kind of walking on, even though you're seeing the fantastical stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to happen so much, sort yeah. of, there's a crazy thing in the sky, I'm going to go to bed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. However, they became alarmed after hearing, as this as they carried on walking, something strike a nearby fence. Then they heard an odd whirring sound, followed by the sound of a door opening. What? And then they described that they heard an incredible howl. Th- th- like a dog howl? Yeah, well, it didn't really go into detail, but that's the way I, I assumed it was, yeah. God. So that sounds like something had basically followed them a bit, crashed into a fence, the door had opened, something had got, had got out and howled at them. Terrified, as you would be, the family began running. As they did so, an intense bright light shone on them through a group of trees near the fence. This oh. sounds like uh, some of those, not the um, not necessarily the David Politis uh, 411 cases, but the missing people cases where you hear metallic noises 
peculiar animal noises and then sometimes weird lights. This is, you know, there, there are some similarities there. Not identical, but some similarities. Yeah, I thought that as well. Yeah, I was thinking of that when I, when I was reading some of these. Um, and as I said, many of the reports from the time describe UFO tropes like light, lights, craft making no sound, etc. But there's also a, a number of them that report seeing an oval or egg-shaped object, which were a feature of many of the reports in the 1980s and later. So th- that was a little bit of a consistent theme in a lot of the reports and sightings from this area, which I found fascinating. Now, some... Like Patrick Forsyth's case, I read this and it seems like something straight out of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. (laughs) So Patrick Forsyth was driving with his two young sons in their car when he sees a strange object floating over the road a hundred yards in front of them. He described it as circular, two-tiered, had a row of green lights encircling the bottom ring of the craft. Again, I, I kind of pictured that almost like one of those those craft in Close Encounters. Do you know what I mean? That, mm. that two-tiered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the wedding cake style. Yeah, exactly. Craft, yeah. As Patrick approached the object, the car in front of him entered a strange fog bank that had suddenly appeared. Seconds later, Patrick's car then entered this mysterious fog bank and Patrick describes being aware of a strange humming sound coming from above. As they exited the fog bank, the floating object was no longer to be seen, neither was the other car. Mm. Patrick went on to describe the fog bank to Robinson as being sharply defined, having clear edges. It stretched from the left-hand side of the road to the middle of the road and was about 12 feet in height. I mean, artificial sounding. Yeah, very artificial sounding. I mean, that, do you know what I mean? I just pictured that kind of close encounters thing where you've got the kind of thing disappearing off the, the, the road, down the road with the lights coming down. Yeah, yeah. So another unusual feature from a number of sightings is that that of multiple craft being observed together. Robinson points out in his book in terms of UFO sightings, that's not often the case. or It's very unusual to see multiple sightings at the same time. This story is amazing. This included a group of 15 firemen in 1989 who were putting out a moss fire late at night. A small red glowing object began to head directly for the fire engine. It then moved away and kept returning while the men were busy dealing with the fire. It is then joined by a white object that behaved in the same way. Seems these two objects were taking turns to fly towards the firemen as if observing what that was going on. Both objects eventually flew off at great speed. I mean, that is very close encounters, yeah. So, that, that I mean, again, multiple, 15 firemen were involved in this incident. And again, so much to lose if they're lying. Yeah, yeah. Another case that involves two strange objects involved the Protec family, and it was on the 16th of January 1993. The family were travelling in their car and around 8.35pm, Cathy Protec noticed some strange lights in the sky. The family continued driving until they were underneath the lights. Ray Protec, the husband, described a large triangular black craft silhouetted against a cloud, which he described as kind of looking as matte black. It had three white lights on the underside. It also had other pinkish coloured lights towards the rear. 
The Protex opened their sunroof to get a better look and they noticed another identical object hovering low in the sky nearby. So that, again, very close encounters that, but they've got two crafts in this case that they kind of spot. So there are, there are hundreds of credible cases from the area that Malcolm Robinson has investigated. Now, towards the end of 1992, this story goes from being a local story to a national one. Both Malcolm Robinson and Billy Buchanan are interviewed for national newspapers and TV. Councillor Buchanan asked Robinson if he and the mem- members of his SPI group will be willing to speak at a public meeting to try and inform local residents. So but they were expecting a good turnout, but they were taken aback when over 300 people turned up for this wow, meeting wow, in the small okay. town. So as you would expect from a serious researcher, Robinson kind of looks at all these cases in quite a lot of detail and rules out those more terrestrial explanations, you know, commercial aircraft, weather balloons, helicopters, you know, planets being mistaken for uh, weird lights, weather phenomenon, all that. Mm-hmm. He then gets in touch with the military to see if they've got any answers or they want to comment on anything. Now, interestingly, the person who was responsible for fielding these kind of inquiries at the British Ministry of Defence at the time is someone who is now well known to the UFO community, Nick Pope. Oh, of course, Nick Pope, yes, yes. And Robinson received this fascinating letter back from Pope on MOD letterhead, which includes the following. Pope says... I'm aware from other UFO researchers that there have been a wave of UFO sightings entered around Bonnie Bridge, but the Ministry of Defence have received no reports from this area. While I'm aware of media speculation about Aurora, so uh, for those of you who may not know, Aurora, it was the name of a triangular-shaped experimental sky plane. As I remember there is uh claims that it had a ramjet engine as well yes that's right yeah yeah um pope goes on as you know the position of the u.s authorities is that no such aircraft exists yeah with regards to military activity that might explain sightings i am able to suggest anything other than the fact that bonnie bridge is an area which does see some military jet activity from time to time Remote piloted vehicles would certainly not operate anywhere near Bonnie Bridge and would be flown only in ranges. I hope this is helpful and I wish you luck with your research, Nicholas Pope. I always liked his style of correspondence. Yeah, it's funny though. I read that and I've read that multiple times now. And you go, oh, is he hinting at something there? Or is <laughs> yeah, he not? Yeah, and yeah. You, just, you, just, you go down a rabbit hole, don't you? There's something you can't tell you. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, the story then mushroomed from a national story to an international one. News crews and documentary makers descending on this small Scottish town from places as far, far afield as Japan, America and Germany. Robinson and Councillor Buchanan seeming to... They seem to split the majority of their waking hours between either collecting and investigating cases or being interviewed and helping out these film crews and arranging interviews with witnesses and stuff. They're pretty much full-on, basically, on this at yeah. this point. Some papers started dubbing Bonnie Bridge the UFO capital of the world. Um, and all this attention... I guess started to become a bit of a double-edged sword for ufologist Robinson and perhaps more importantly for Councillor Buchanan. Other politicians in the area became frustrated with the amount of attention, often 
the ridicule that the stories brought was an embarrassment to them. And Councillor Buchanan's promotion of it was, you know, it was having an effect on the area that a lot of local fellow politicians didn't like, basically. Um, some of the press also started to turn against Billy Buchanan. Uh, I found that there's an article in the book from May 1993 by Ron Halliday. He wrote a piece for the Falkirk Herald, great title, titled Billy's Unidentified Flying Circus. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good copywriting. <laughs> Which included the following quote. I don't want to get personal, but with all respect to Billy, it was a bit of a circus. A lot of people have been upset by this. Councillor Buchanan does not appear to be encouraging serious investigation of the hundreds of sightings. I think he is more interested in Bonnybridge getting some publicity. This makes it difficult to investigate these sightings properly. I mean... I don't know. That seems a parochial view. I, was it? Could you not just argue he was trying to raise awareness? Yes, and as Robinson points out in the book repeatedly, as for, he said, Buchanan's motivations were he was re- representing the concerns of his constituents. Yeah, that, that seems fair enough. And they were coming to him with all these sightings. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What's he supposed to do? You know, if you'd ignore them, you'd be accused of like being complicit yeah, in ex- something. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Well, rather than being crushed by this criticism, Councillor Buchanan, he kind of doubles down, Ben, even embracing the circus-like metaphor. Oh, good on him, I reckon. With Billy and Robinson organising their biggest conference to date on the 30th of June, 1994. Now, Ben, reading about this event, this event, I thought it sounded completely bonkers and absolutely fabulous at the same time. I, I was left going, oh, I wish I'd been there, and I'm going to just give you a bit of background to it. I think you'll agree. <laughs> so the event was held in Falkirk Town Hall, was a sellout with 800 people in attendance and a further 100 being turned away at the door. It featured a number of prominent speakers on all things UFO-related, including Philip Mantel and the UFO rock band CE4. Now, you'd mentioned there was a, a UFO rock band. And yeah. I, I mean, this is before Tom DeLonge, I guess. I mean, obviously. Before yeah, Tom well, way, 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 way. Um, now, this band, I, I, I hope they, if they're listening, they won't be offended. I would describe them as a kind of UFO themed prog rock band. Uh, that's, do you know what? I would, I'm all over that. That sounds like a positive compliment to me. And you see some of the pictures of their performances. They've got kind of two aliens, dancers by the side of them while they're performing. Brilliant. L- looking like kind of, you know, grey, grey. Well, um, yeah, when I say they've got two alien dancers, I don't think they're real aliens because, you know, the conference would have been over in a second <laughs> if that had been the yes. case. People dressed up as aliens. Okay. So the band were from Gar- Glasgow. Um They've still got kind of coverage out there and you can still find some of their music. So if you Google them, they're CE4 and four is in Roman numerals rather than the number four. Do we know what it stands for? It sounds like it might stand for something. Yeah, I don't know. I should have checked that out, but I haven't. Yeah, I'm not sure what it stands for. They sound awesome. I'd love to know how they became alien themed. Yeah, I, I would too. It's amazing. Um so, so yes, they, they, they were there as well. Councillor Buchanan, for this conference, in true flamboyant style, he hired a large stretch limo that picked up the conference speakers, the band, and chauffeured them with Robinson and Buchanan to the venue. 
well, I say he hired a limo to pick them up. Um, he, they, they picked them up from behind the venue and just drove them round the corner so they could make a grand entrance. Low budget. Yeah, I love but that, though. Good showmanship. Good showmanship. Good showmanship, yeah. I'm really warming to all of this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Now, I'm going to read Robinson's, the author's own description of the start of the conference because, Ben, it is brilliant. He says, At 7.30pm, the, hi- the house lights went down and the place was enveloped in darkness. Peals of synthesised keyboard thunder produced by Andy Morton of Glasgow rock group CE4 roared out of the large speakers at either side of the stage. This gradually decreased in volume and was replaced by the sound of crickets. A picture formed in my mind of a vast American plain and swaying wheat stalks being blown around the wind under a starry night sky. Suddenly, the sound of the crickets was instantly silenced by the sound of a large and descending UFO. The noise reached a crescendo, the curtains opened, dry ice poured out from the stage and a barrage of multicoloured lights swung to and fro. Glasgow's UFO rock band CE4 had arrived. What a start to a conference. Amazing. He then goes on to say, After two storming songs, Councillor Billy Buchanan took the stage and introduced myself, where I lectured on UFO sightings throughout the year, which I illustrated with slides and showed extracts from videos. Following on from me was Philip Mantle, who spoke about some interesting English UFO cases. Phil's talk was then followed by a break in which the press chased me for further quotes for the next day's newspaper. Was my tongue, would my tongue last the pace, I thought to myself. C4 resumed the second half and their special style of UFO music had the huge audience spellbound. Guitarist Brian McMullen spoke to the audience and said, For any of you old sky-watching hippies out there, this song's for you. It's called Warmins Tonight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that does sound so prog rock. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to have to look this, these guys up. Wouldn't you, I wanted to have been at that conference? Yeah, me too. It's, it's almost like saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I was there for Ziggy Stardust, the last Bowie performance or something. Well, in the year that followed the conference, uh, reported sightings in the area increased, in, including some abduction stories. Uh, and one again reminiscent of Close Encounters of the Third Kind that coincided uh, with a, a power outage in the area. And that just like the start of Close Encounters, where all the power goes uh-huh. down and uh-huh. then all the UFO stuff. Brilliant. So Buchanan and Robinson tried to push for answers from the various government ministers uh, and two prime ministers. He, uh, uh, he wrote to... Um, John Major, he wrote to Tony Blair. I mean, to be honest, he didn't get much success. He got the general, you know, oh, thank you for bringing us to, you know, this to our attention. You need to get in contact with the Ministry of Defence type stuff. Um, in true Billy Buchanan style in 1995, Billy announced plans to launch a futuristic extraterrestrial visitor centre near Bonnie Bridge, which would be the shape of a giant glass mushroom. <laughs> This is this is politics as it should be done. Yeah, well, it gets even better. He also went on to visit the mayor of Roswell in an attempt to have Roswell, New Mexico and Bonnie Bridge in Sterling officially announced as twin towns. Of course. What of a course. genius. Absolute genius. What a genius. 
And apparently the mayor of Roswell was very keen on the idea. But um, I think in my reading, there was so much opposition to these two things from fellow politicians that they just never got off the ground, which is sad. I don't know why you'd oppose it. Yeah, because I think think he, Buchanan, was like, well, look, we've got all this stuff going on. He saw how Roswell had kind of, this small area had got so much attention. I don't think he saw any harm in it. It's like, why not? We can have... We can have a visitor centre, we can... Hotels, people will come and visit, people are coming anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a real boost for the economy. Yeah, definitely. So then in 1995, something happened that would put a strain on Buchanan and Robinson's relationship. Uh, It's called the Zealous Affair, or the Zealous Affair, I should say. And in Robinson's own words, he says... It destroyed the credibility that Billy Buchanan and I had built up in regards to what was occurring over and around Bonnie Bridge. So it started with Councillor Buchanan being approached by a strange man who informed him that there was something called the Council of Nine. I don't know if you've heard of them. Now, I have. I don't exactly know the details, so I can tell you I do. I have heard of it. Yeah, I think it's... uh, Basically, it's a group uh, of aliens who are supposed to be overseeing the planet, basically to ensure we don't blow ourselves up. I see, I see. I think it's that stuff that we've heard that is part of many UFO religions. You know what I mean? We've we've heard it a few times. Yeah. Uh, Councillor Buchanan described this man who turned up as wearing a black suit, white shirt and black tie. Buchanan calls Robinson to ask whether he should meet the man again. Uh, Robinson says, well, yeah, sure, I'll come with you. And he said, no, the guy said he would only meet with me. Um, So Robinson then considered, you know, one, this is either a wind-up or a prank. It's a government agent spreading disinformation or it's a man in black, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what men in black were. So he advises Buchanan to be sceptical and careful in dealings with this man who they were calling Mr X. This is where it it kind of went a bit pear-shaped. Robinson then wrote an article about the incident which was published in his own society's journal, which is called Enigmas, and was also published in the 14 Times. But Robinson made a big mistake in the article. In writing the piece, he confused two stories he'd been researching – and he put into print that Buchanan had been visiting, visited by someone called Zalas rather than the more generic Mr X, which, and it kind of implied incorrectly that Buchanan had been visited by an alien. Ah, right, I see. So this story then gets picked up by the mainstream press. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah, with headlines like, My pal E.T. is set to stun the world. Um this one's good with the Scottish reference. Good, good headline. Please beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, yeah. This is, you know, this sounds like calculated disinformation. My pal, my alien pal could miss big dates. This was uh, about whether the guy would show up again. And our pal, Sal. Right, right, right. Yeah. And yeah, basically, yeah. all these articles ridicule both men, but mainly Buchanan for claiming that he'd met with an extraterrestrial. But did he claim that? No, he didn't. No. It was it was Robinson, the author, had got confused. Oh, I see. So in reality, yeah, Robinson pointed out that Billy's mystery visitor was not a man from space, but turned out to be a man from Edinburgh called Jerry Rogers. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, Jerry. Oh, Jerry. He was due to speak at an upcoming lecture organised by Buchanan. So he was a UFO enthusiastic and researcher who kind of believed in all this stuff, Councillor Nine, but he wasn't anything thing. So, um, but, Firmly but, terrestrial Jerry. Yeah, but Robinson, um, in, his, in his article, had basically confused something else he was researching. He said, um, I tried to create the error, writing to newspapers and releasing a statement that, mis- that the mistake was all his, or all mine, he says, and that he had confused two different stories, but the damage was done. The press would not let the story go. Buchanan for years had to deal with people shouting at him in the street, where's Zalus? As you can imagine. Um, and uh, this went on for years. In fact, in 1997, the story continued with tabloid newspapers claiming, it seems incorrectly, that Buchanan had decided to sue Robinson. The Daily Star running a headline, May the Fast Be With You, with oh. both men's face photoshopped on a Star Wars poster. Right, of course. So the whole affair certainly damaged Buchanan's reputation, as highlighted by a statement by then Falkirk Chief Executive Walter Weir after the council turned down a request by a media company to interview Buchanan at the local council buildings. The chief executive saying, I do not deem it appropriate for Falkirk Council to be linked to a story on UFOs. Okay. Billy, undeterred, in a publicity stunt staged when it looked likely that Falkirk's football team might reach the final of the Scottish Cup, was photographed wearing an alien mask with a Falkirk scarf around his neck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. He's not helping himself there, but yes. Yeah, it's good. So by, by, by 1997, the number of UFO incidents being reported declined and the public and media seemed to lose interest. The wave was over, Ben. It's so funny how these flaps sort of... There's almost a defining end date to them. Yeah. I mean, I know, obviously, that's the definition of a flap, but it's it's so weird that it would, you know, that this phenomenon would be there and wouldn't be there. There's some... If it was real, which I have no reason to doubt it, why? Why come for all those years and then go, yeah. that's it then? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just mention there's a couple of kind of not sceptical points, but things that I thought in reading the book. But before I do that, I just want to leave the last words to Billy Buchanan. <laughs> what a character. When being pressed by a journalist about a UFO sighting, the journalist asked, why Bonnie Bridge? Billy's response, well, why Bethlehem? <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. <laughs> yeah. My critical eye, there's a couple of things. Um, I mean, Robinson in the book doesn't outright claim that these things are definitely UFOs, but it's a bit like we've said before. I'm not saying it's aliens, but Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. aliens. Yeah. Um, And I I hope this isn't unfair, but sometimes it felt like he was being a bit blinded by what was going on and, uh, you know, probably... I, it always reminds me, I always think, and we're like this as well, it reminds me of how brilliant that poster behind Fox Mulder yeah. was on the X-Files, I want to believe. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. That can kind of define you. So there was... Um, 
there was a, a bit in the book where somebody had sent a video. So, again, during this time, this was the first wave of home video recorders, right? So we're not saying that anything could be photoshopped or anything like that. But somebody had recorded a video. I think the couple of videos where Robinson describes the videos as some of the, you know, best UFO videos that have ever been seen. I mean, I watched the videos. I'm like, okay, it's just light to me do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but anyway robinson sends a copy of this video to the electronic and electron the electrical and electronic engineering department call this is a mouthful the electrical and electronic engineering department of the university of paisley he says just one of those words would have been fine <laughs> wouldn't it yeah, really yeah. Would. he sends it to mufon uh he sends it to nick pope at the mod and I won't go into detail, but basically all of them came back and said, it's pretty poor quality, blurry, we can't make much out, it's difficult to analyse. But they all seem to agree the most likely con- conclusion is that it was aircraft flights. So these mm. are, you know, this is MUFON, these, these are people who, I mean, okay, the MOD would say that, but, you know, he had it analysed by three different people. But in reading Robinson's talking about this, he almost kind of writes it off and go almost ignores that. Do you know what I mean? And say, well, these people definitely saw something and they captured it. And he's not as explicit as that. But I got the impression of holding. You've just had three people from three separate organisations tell you what it you, they think it is, and you're almost you know discounting that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think sometimes. When you get a bunch of accounts which aren't as easily, um, not, not that that is easily written off, but haven't been discounted, you sort of feel like it might ruin your argument if some of them are discounted. And I think we've seen, like, I think more recently, that hasn't that has become less the case. But in the past, you know, it's a very typical sort of low-level pub argument. Well, that was an aircraft. That must mean everything else is explainable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which obviously isn't the case. Yeah, but I agree. It f- sounds like perhaps he went on slightly the defensive a little. Yeah, and it, I, I guess that's we've talked about it before on the podcast: video evidence, photographs. I mean, it's kind of impossible now with Photoshop and what people can do and create. Um, but even so, it, there's something about them I don't like because of that fact of they can be manipulated and misinterpreted. You know, I I prefer stories, I would say, than than that kind of evidence, but maybe that's just me. Um, while I was reading the book, you know, as I said earlier, Highgate Vampire came to mind. Hammersmith Ghost that we covered also came to mind, you know, where the vigilantes went and roamed the streets trying to track down and kill a ghost. I wondered if some level of mass hysteria did develop around that area you know what i mean i'm not saying that that wasn't driven by something but it i'm don't don't you think in the descriptions just sound like it went nuts there for a while yeah very much so but i suspect and and i don't know how you um allow for this but people in the past who saw something strange in the sky maybe wouldn't have reported it i could say very categorically that that would have been the case for my dad a couple of weeks ago i went to see him and um he he lives you know a couple of hours away from me so we don't you know don't go over there more than once a month and he said he he sort of mentioned oh we saw something weird in the sky it was um looked like a fleet of seven 
object and then I showed him a picture of Starlink and he was like, oh, it was that. But otherwise, if he hadn't seen me, he wouldn't have told anybody. Yeah. yeah. And But if it had been a group of people in his community... And he felt comfortable coming forward. Exactly. He yeah. would have probably misreported a Starlink sighting. But that doesn't denigrate what the other people were saying. It was just... He was, like, trying out his sighting. He would have tried out his argument on, is this something? And if people said no, then that's absolutely fine. And so I think you perhaps do get some real things coming forward also. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm sorry, I was also just going to say, you have to remember us, and I'm including everybody who's listening to this and you and I, we're more interested in this than most other people we know. Yeah, that's true. So most people would just look at it and go, oh, that was weird. Yeah, weird, weird lights in the sky. And leave it there. I mean, you know, I, I was sad to read the bits where Robinson and especially Buchanan's motivations were questioned. I, I, that kind of... Yeah, that doesn't seem Had he fair. created or hyped something up to drive tourism and commercially benefit from it... So, you know, there was things about the ticketed conferences, but um, Robinson points out in the book, which many people don't know, that I don't know if all of it, but a large proportion of the money that was being made from the conferences, Buchanan was, like, donating to charities or helping people in the local area. So it's not like he was, like, at least overly commercially benefiting from himself. Um, I mean... Yeah, he saw Buchanan saw the tourist potential, but that doesn't mean there wasn't something going on, right? I, I think his primary interest was representing his constituents and finding out exactly what was going on above the skies in Bronnybridge. Mm, yeah. Um, and if, you know, that could bring tourism to the area, why not? You know, it was all that. So I thought it was fascinating, the relationship between these two men and the journey that they went on, Um you know, and the the kind of charisma and showmanship of Councillor Buchanan, amazing, you know, and that conference, I just sounds brilliant, right? Mm. <laughs> I, I wish I'd have been there. I mean, 1994, it was the height of, I mean, in my memory, we, we'd had a few years of the Chord Circle stuff. I remember still going and looking for Chord Circles in 1994. I mean, I still do it today, but I was really looking for, for them then. And there was a real, um, the, the paranormal had really sort of punched through into the mainstream and it wasn't always being ridiculed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think in reading the book, I think there is some frustration from Robinson, the author, that, you know, like we never really got to the bottom of it. We don't know what was going on there. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I imagine there probably are still reports going on, but it seemed like for a period of, 20 years there was just an incredible amount of activity unless ben as you said you know in those kind of areas activities going on all the time you just had people felt comfortable coming forward and the press attention meant that people could report it i'm sure you know you're obviously going to get a lot of kind of mis uh, misidentifications and stuff like that but yeah a, a fascinating book um and like I said, it, it it has tons and tons and tons of cases, and I didn't really cover many of them because it was the relationship between them and the journey that those two men went on that I found the most interesting. But if you want to read more on the subject and check out the book, it's called UFO Case Files of Scotland. It's by Malcolm Robinson. Uh, not only has it got tons more detail about what we've been talking about today, it also includes some other 
um, Scottish UFO encounters, uh, like the Robert Taylor incident, which is, I guess, a kind of Scottish version of the Travis Walton case. It's a bit fire in the sky. I may cover that um, on a future episode because it's a fascinating story. That does sound like another prog rock band, like the Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah, does yeah, sound yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Robert Taylor incident performing live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with yeah. CF4. Um, yeah, so definitely go and check out the book. Um, amazing, amazing. And I, I knew there was stuff that was going on over uh, the skies in Scotland, but I didn't quite know the wave reached that level. No, no. Um, and I suspect as well that, like, I, I, it's really strange to say, oh, we never got to the bottom of it. No one's ever got to the bottom of it ever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone should feel bad about that. Yeah. I mean, imagine being the mayor um, investigating the um, the Phoenix Lights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you know, we're not going to cover that now, but he made some serious boo-boos in the early days and now admits yeah, that he wished he'd looked on. into it. Well, yeah. again, it reminded me of that with that photo of Buchanan in the alien mask with the full cook. Because yeah. that pathetic press conference that mayor organized yes, in yes said, we're, we're we've taking got, the head off it yeah then he goes so we've got somebody who can cast light on it and then some guy comes out in a kind of alien gray mask yeah 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 cool lovely story thank you I'll, I'll briefly tell you my um my sherlock holmes thing this week very very low level phenomena um i was listening to our podcast the other week and i got you know when we listen back on a monday Mm. I got to the end of it, you know, and you know I've had this stuff in my car with the music. I've got my iPod, which has got tons of songs on. It's just on a kind of random loop. Yeah. And the next song that kicked in after that um, was an Arctic Monkeys track. I think it's called A Certain Romance. Uh, but it includes the line, uh, something about there's, a, there's only music, so there's new ringtones, and it don't take no Sherlock Holmes. Oh, that well, was the next song up. But small, but, you know, it was there. A low-level Holmes. Well, because there's not many songs that I can think of that mention Sherlock Holmes. No, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Oh, okay. well done. Yeah. Well, um, we continue to try to manifest him. Yes, we will. We'll keep working on it, keep working on it. It's it's toddling along. It's toddling along. Yeah. Um, I get probably two people a week come forward. So um, keep doing keep doing that. Yeah, there's lots of low level. We've had a few kind of big coincidences. We've had no sightings yet, which which I really want. Oh well, you had a sighting on a bus, but it was on a poster, so I don't know if that. It was, yes, it wasn't a real man. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All righty. Well, we'll be back next week with more quantum mechanicsness. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting us. Thank you for all of that. Followers, likers, subscribers. Patreoners. Uh, Patreoners. Um, I'm off for some sleep and to write an episode for next week. And we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics.